Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Persia is the ancient name for the modern-day nation of Iran. This is interesting for a number of reasons. This is a Persian king that God has stirred up to fulfill a prophecy that was spoken about him 150 years before he was born. He is mentioned by his name, Cyrus by name, and it's in the book of Isaiah. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Ezra. As Pastor J.D. begins his new teaching series through the book of Ezra, he'll be reminding us that God will always bring his sovereign plan to pass. Every prophecy found within the Bible has either been fulfilled or will be in the future. The Lord used Persia, an enemy of Israel, to bring to pass the plans he ordained for the temple in Jerusalem. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth in Ezra chapter 1. As we're about to see, the book of Ezra continues with the narrative of Israel's history and it sort of picks up where we left off at the end of Second Chronicles. Now, it's important to understand that there's been about 70 years between the end of Second Chronicles and the beginning of the book of Ezra. And perhaps more importantly, that 70 years was actually a fulfillment of a prophecy in the book of Jeremiah. And this prophecy was specifically related to the disobedience on the part of the Israelites concerning the land enjoying her Sabbath rest. And we actually see this in Second Chronicles 36. I'll just read verses 20 through 23. It says, And those who escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon. This is the Babylonian captivity where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, this is when we're first introduced to him, and we're going to see something very interesting concerning this king of Persia. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord, this is going to come up again, listen, stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and also put in writing saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Is that, is that a little bit reminiscent of God's promise to David? No, David, you won't build me a house. I will build you a house. And who is among you of all his people? May the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. Now, it's again important to understand 
that the book of Second Chronicles actually ends by way of an introduction to the book of Ezra. And as we're about to see in the first chapter, Cyrus, again fulfilling prophecy, is going to make a decree permitting Ezra and the Babylonian captives to return to Jerusalem now that the 70 years has been fulfilled and the land has had its Sabbath rests. They're going to rebuild the temple. This is what we get into the book of Nehemiah. We're going to have more uh, details about that. It was in the year 538 BC. And again, that in and of itself is a fulfillment of the many prophecies that had foretold this. One of the one of them is in Jeremiah chapter 25 verses 8 through 11. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land against its inhabitants and against these nations all around and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing and perpetual desolations. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon, and here it is, 70 years. That's the 70 years that is fulfilled. Then Jeremiah 29 says this about the after 70 years, for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. That's where we're at right now. For I know the thoughts. Is this verse going to sound familiar? For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I love this, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. And as we're about to see, he is going to move upon the heart of this Persian king Cyrus to accomplish exactly that. Verse 1, Ezra 1. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, and here it is again, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Are you, are you with me on this? You know what 
who this guy is? This, this is modern day Iran. This would be like the Ayatollah Khamenei issuing a decree for Israel, for the Israelites to return to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple. That's the equivalent of it. Persia is the ancient name for the modern day nation of Iran. This is interesting for a number of reasons. This is a Persian king that God has stirred up to fulfill a prophecy that was spoken about him 150 years before he was born. He is mentioned by his name, Cyrus by name, and it's in the book of Isaiah, and I want to read it for you. Isaiah 44, verse 28 through 45, verse 4. Isaiah writes, Who says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, You shall be built, and to the temple, Your foundation shall be laid. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. Here's a question. This brings up a question. And the question is, did Cyrus know about this prophecy about him some 150 years before he was born? And if he did, was that instrumental in stirring him up? Now, I've read a lot of the commentators on this, and it is suggested that it's quite possible that the prophet Daniel may have actually showed this King Cyrus the prophecies about him that were in Jeremiah and Isaiah. Now think about how much that would have freaked him out. (laughs) Oh, by the way, uh, Cyrus, did you know that there was a prophecy about you 150 years before you were even born that is mentioning you by name and what you're going to do? That would kind of move me. That would sort of impress me. Adam Clark wrote, Josephus accounts for his partiality to the Jews from this circumstance that he was shown the places in Isaiah the prophet where he is mentioned by name and his exploits and conquests foretold. That's pretty powerful. Well, verse 3, Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, 
Let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. A couple of things I want to point out here, the first of which is that Cyrus issues this decree, and it's only really for a remnant that actually returns, not all returned. Some stayed, and the ones who stayed, very interesting, uh, supported the the remnant that went back to Jerusalem, which would have required an enormous amount of faith. This would have been a very difficult, just to travel there from Babylon and to get there, and it would have been really uh, a life and death uh, experience just to even make it there. And so we're, we're told about this remnant, and it's interesting because it actually fulfills yet another prophecy in Isaiah, and it's chapter 10, verse 22. For though your people, O Israel, be as the sand of the sea, a remnant of them will return. The destruction decreed shall overflow with righteousness. The reason I wanted to point this out, and before we go on to verse 5. There's something here I want to uh, draw your attention to. And it's a very important principle, and it's one that I'm learning in my uh, experience, especially in pastoral ministry. But to me, this speaks to how it is that we don't have to coerce people or try to convince people to do what God hasn't called them to do. We should never use guilt or manipulation to try to get people to serve or to go. Unless God has called them, I think we do err greatly when we try to, especially as leaders, when we try to convince people, hey, you need to, you know, step up to the plate and you need to commit and you need to do this and you need to serve. Listen, if God hasn't called you, I, first of all, I don't want you serving if God hasn't called you. It, it is disastrous when you put people in positions that God has not called them to, just out of sheer desperation. It was recently that we expressed our need for uh, servants in the children's ministry, and I'm always conflicted because if there was ever a, a uh, an area of importance within a church, It's in the area of the children's ministry. I've often shared how that if I wasn't the pastor of this church, I would serve in the children's ministry in this church. It is such a rewarding area to serve. All of the people that I talk to that serve in the children's ministry so faithful share with me that that they go to bless only to find that they're the ones that are blessed. And so it's always kind of difficult and I'm conflicted. I kind of anguish over it because I, I want people to experience, you know, that, that uh, serving in that area of ministry. But yet, and we are, we are, well, here's an example. Here we are on a Thursday night. We don't have any uh, children's ministry. The laborers are few. The, the harvest is ripe. Uh, let me just make another reference to this Tuesday night prayer meeting, if you don't mind. Uh, on this particular night uh, that, that we were there, uh, Pastor Symbola 
was moved to pray for the children. He even got the um, those that work in the area of uh, education, the bus drivers, the teachers, the counselors, everybody that works in the education system. And he had them come up on the stage and they sat in the chairs where the choir would sit. And there's some like, I don't know, 200 chairs up there. Uh, they have almost as many chairs in the choir as we do in this entire sanctuary. <laughs> and so they all sat and, and they prayed for them. They prayed for these kids and they prayed in, in different age groups. And one of the age groups was, I think, the 13 to the 18 year olds. And my son Elias went forward and was prayed for all of these, uh, young people. Then the, I think it was the 8 to the 13, and then the, uh, and he even had little, uh, toddlers, and the parents bring up their toddlers and these kids, and they prayed for the kids, man. And the, the emphasis was on the children and praying for the children. And that was one of the reasons why he wanted for Sabia to sing as a 10 year old, uh, at that prayer meeting, you know, cause the focus was on praying for the children. And as I witnessed this, I was again, so deeply moved, so powerfully touched. It just really kind of hit me that those people are called. I don't imagine, uh, you know, Pastor Symbol having to get up and try to convince people to serve <laughs> in the children's ministry. I mean, they have this, this thriving ministry to these young people there in this church. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, um, Jesus said that you need to pray to the Lord of the harvest for the laborers because the harvest is ready. The harvest is ripe. I was, uh, raised in a very small farm town. And I know a thing or two about harvest. It was so critical to get the crops in before the weather came, that they would actually delay the start of school at harvest time. And they would take us as, you know, uh, high school kids, and we drove the trucks and the combines, and we would take the grain to the elevators. But there was such an urgency during the harvest time, because when that wheat was ready, you had to harvest it. If you didn't harvest it, you lose it. And so there was such an urgency. And when Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest, that laborers are raised up because the harvest is ready. And the time is now. And the urgency is here. And so that's why the emphasis has been and will continue to be on prayer. I made a a comment to uh, the elders and uh, to Gail that everything we do in this church is going to be birthed out of prayer. We are going to go to the Lord of the harvest, and we are going to pray, and we are going to ask for laborers. And we're going to pray for the young people. We're going to pray for this community, for this area. It's all going to be birthed out of prayer. We're not going to do anything until we've prayed. We are going to pray, pray, pray. Well, let's move on. Verse 5. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, with all whose spirits God had moved, 
arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with precious things, besides all that was willingly offered. I want you to notice something here uh, in verse 5, where it says that it was only those whose spirits God had moved. They're the ones that arose by faith to return back to Jerusalem. And I want you to contrast that with verse 6. Those whom God's Spirit did not move are the ones who did not return, but they still did something. They encouraged those who did return. How did they encourage them? They encouraged them by supporting them, and they did so of their own volition. This was, as it's been said, a get-to and not a got-to. Now, this speaks to another very important principle when it comes to God's calling on our lives. We all have different callings. We all have different giftings. Uh, God has called me and gifted me as a pastor-teacher, but we're all different parts of the same body. Your calling is not my calling, and my calling is not your calling. We're all called and gifted in different ways. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, first of all, that would be really freaky, (laughs) where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. We are so glad you've joined us again for another look into the book of Ezra. We believe the Spirit of God is alive and active in the world today, that He brings to life the words written in Scripture. We hope today's message has brought you life. If you'd like to hear more life-giving messages from Pastor J.D. Farag, you'll find them online at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. While you're there, take a moment to check out the Mideast Prophecy Update, in which Pastor J.D. discusses current events and their prophetic importance each Friday and Saturday. Here to tell you more about this is Pastor J.D. Thanks, Josh. Followers of Jesus Christ have this anticipating of his soon return at the rapture of the church, especially with everything that's happening in the world today. 
I'm of the belief that we are seeing key Bible prophecies beginning to come to pass in real time. And it's for this reason that we do these weekly prophecy updates as we look up and lift up our heads, knowing our redemption draws ever so near. This is what Jesus said in Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 28. Our hope here at In Spirit and Truth is that believers will be ready and non-believers will get ready by coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ while there's still time. Thanks, Pastor J.D., and thanks to you for being a part of our listening audience. If you're in the Kaneohe area, we'd love to meet you in person. Stop by Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on Sundays and Thursdays to worship with us and study the Word of God. Find directions and service times at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. And be sure to tune in again right here on In Spirit and Truth.